Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. On Commons People This Week. They have treated the use of a military-grade nerve agent in Europe with sarcasm, contempt and defiance. It's Cold War II return of the chill as May hits back at Russia. Our response must be both decisive and proportionate and based on clear evidence. But not everyone is signed up to the reboot. I think they underestimate the fear they are causing in this country. And is it fake news over free school meals? All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett. And this week I am joined by Ned Simons. Hello, Ned. Hello. I'm joined by Kate Frost. Hello, Kate. Hello. And I'm joined by It's War. That's right, It's Paul War. Hello, Paul. Oh, how appropriate. I know, yes, I thought hello. I'd get that in really early. Uh, obviously, lots to talk about. Let's crack on, shall we, with the news that Russian diplomats are set to be thrown out of the UK in response to the attempted murder of ex-spy Sergei Skripal and his daughter in Salisbury. Theresa May announced on Wednesday afternoon that 23 diplomats have a week to leave the country, making it the single biggest expulsion of diplomats for over 30 years. The Prime Minister added the UK was suspending high-level contacts with Russia and the dignitaries, including the royal family, will not attend this summer's World Cup. London had given Moscow until midnight on Wednesday to explain whether it was behind the attack in Salisbury or had lost control of the nerve agent that was used. Here's Theresa May in the Commons. They have provided no credible explanation that, they, that could suggest they lost control of their nerve agent. No explanation as to how this agent came to be used in the United Kingdom. No explanation as to why Russia has an undeclared chemical weapons programme in contravention of international law. Instead, they have treated the use of a military-grade nerve agent in Europe with sarcasm, contempt and defiance. Let's talk about this response from Theresa May, because she's expelling the diplomats. Like I said, it's the biggest one sort of 30 years since the Cold War. Russia have said, as we record this on Thursday, that guess what, they're going to expel some British diplomats. Um, but where do we go from here? Because it's, I mean, I was talking to a, a cabinet source yesterday, he said it's gonna, we're going to get into a, a tit-for-tat kind of exchange. What's the next, what's next tat then, Paul? Well, they keep saying that um, these are the uh, declared sort of intelligent agents, don't they? They're previously undeclared intelligence agents that they're kicking out. Um, And we asked number 10 the other day, well, if these are the undeclared agents then and you knew there were 23 of them, why didn't you kick them out? Uh, already previously and the the answer is of course both countries all countries uh, tolerate a certain number of you know espionage agents on each side and so what's happened is that you get every now and again you get a big incident and things go back to zero and it takes years to build up that capacity so is so, it's part of it for reasons like this you say we'll let them in because it's a little bit of insurance policy that if we need to do something we can throw them out well basically i mean i think there's an tacit understanding on all, all sides that that's what happens but um i mean i suspect that 
as ever in these tit-for-tat things, we've only done the first wave. We obviously know there are some others we could kick out, and the same for them. They normally come in stages, so you do have a bit back in reserve in case something else does deteriorate. Now, were you surprised by uh, the strength of Theresa May's statement on Wednesday? Because she was kind of unequivocal that Russia were behind this. She, she didn't really leave any room for ambiguity. I guess you have, you, you have to be like that if you're going to take this, this course of action. Um, was her hand forced by Moscow? I don't think I was surprised at all. I think you could see it coming. I think all the noises they were making in the lead up to it, from what Boris Johnson was saying, um, was very clear they were going to make that statement, were going to blame Russia, but just were giving it a couple of days to look like and actually consider the response. Um, I don't think the level of response was a surprise. Are you scared, Kate? Uh, mm, maybe. I might... Uh I of ru- not in general, not of spiders, but I'm, of I'm not. I'm not scared of spiders war. actually. I've been uh, I've been researching uh, bunkers in North Carolina, so oh. yeah, I'm all fine. It's all fine. Why North Carolina? How are you getting there? Plane. Why? Why <laughs> North Carolina? <laughs> I've been to North Carolina. There's loads of like nice mountainy places where you could build a bunker. Right. Okay. Interesting. Don't, ev- <laughs> don't everyone else go there? <laughs> just me. I have to apologise this for, for, for Kate being a bit nuts. Um, <laughs> but the, isn't it? Isn't the point here that actually sure. this is only the easy bit, which is kicking out diplomats, is the easy bit. The hard bit is following the money. The hard bit is disentangling Russian money from London, which is called London grads and. Uh, along and across many parts of Europe because we're in it deep when it comes to Russian financial links. And it reminds me that there was, you know, at the end of the Cold War, there was this thing, you're all so young, you might not remember it, but there's a thing called the peace dividend, right? Now, who talked about the peace dividend? It was George Bush Sr. and Margaret Thatcher. It was on the side of a bus, like a Brexit dividend. The peace dividend, long before the Brexit dividend, um, was basically... The Western states were allowed to reduce their spending on military, which was getting massive because of the the arms race with Russia. We basically ramped it up in the 80s to defeat the Russians. um, And it did work, you know, basically bankrupt them. And then Gorbachev arrives. And then suddenly, I mean, in the States, it's amazing. The the amount they spent on the military from um, the late 80s until sort of early mid 90s went down dramatically. And it was frozen until when? 9-11. 9-11. That's the only point at which American military spending started rising again. And it's the same in Britain. We saved a lot of money from the peace dividend, from actually winning the Cold War. But there's another peace dividend, which has been since Russia sort of collapsed, or the Soviet Union collapsed. And, and that's real dividends, profits for British companies, oil companies, property companies, lawyers, financial companies, who are all working in Russia and working with Russians in London. And that's why, because of the depth of those links, that's why I think a lot of people are sceptical the next stage, whether or not May really, really does mean it, because it will cost us as much as it will cost them. And there's a few, I mean, in terms of practical action and in terms of legislation, I mean, Theresa May was talking about um, cracking down on sanctions or uh, Magnitsky Act or on overseas funds. There's a money laundering bill that's going through the Commons already, um, where a lot of in the Lords, a lot of Tories and Labour peers were saying you need to make this stronger. A um, particular part of it was the register of overseas owners, this thing that you know, loads of dodgy people just launder money by buying up properties in London. And as the, the government's only gone as far as saying they'll have a register ready in a year. So it might be interesting to see if that's then brought forward or if pressure grows from Tories in the Lords to make that stronger. Because this was all happening before the Salisbury attack. 
and they were kind of resisting it, they might now have to change their, their tune. Before we come on to uh, Labour's response and Corbyn's response, which got sorts of different things in many ways, um, internationally, um, Rex Tillerson, the set, who was the American Secretary of State, sort of square behind us in, in blaming Russia, then Trump axed him, whether it was linked or not, it's for other people to decide. Um, but then Trump had a phone call with Theresa May and basically said, you know, it's the words, the effect of, you know, we are with you, was the kind of the outcry. Um, the French spokesman, I think on Wednesday, said we need to see more evidence, but I think Macron's gone further than that today and said, actually, no, we believe Britain, we believe that Russia was involved in this. Um, is this a sign that actually, just, it's proved the Brexiteers' argument, isn't it, that even if you leave the EU, you still have allies who are willing to look above the, the kind of economic integration that we have to being in the EU and security sort of trumps all that. So this kind of proves them right a little bit, isn't it? Kind of, but I think this is the kind of thing that transcends any of that anyway. Like it's so. But that's what I mean because the threat. Yeah. It's all about you know safer, stronger, better off inside the EU. But this is a surely proof that actually this is bigger than the EU. Yeah, I would sort of agree with that to an extent, but in terms of your kind of day-to-day sort of relationships building, um, relationship cementing thing, then being outside the EU is not particularly helpful for that. And you know we saw with France like. Macron wasn't sort of immediately rallying straight behind the UK, as you say, he has now. But that was sort of a little bit questionable before the statement earlier today. So, don't And don't know. forget, when we're coming down to the idea of, you know, economic sanctions, you know, individual countries taking economic sanctions, it doesn't really work. It's got to be lots of countries at the same time making it effective. And the value of the EU is it acts as a block. And so the EU has sanctions, which they'll probably now, they were due to run out, uh, they were going to roll them over for another six months. Britain's saying we should roll them over for another year. The big question at the next EU summit is whether or not it will be rolled over into another year. Because that is the sort of thing that does hurt Russia. There's no question about it. Because it's not one country alone, it's several countries at the same time. And let's be honest, America, in some ways, drags its feet behind Europe on the whole idea of economic sanctions. Uh, let's turn to Labour, because Jeremy Corbyn, he refused to link Russia directly to the Salisbury nerve agent attack. Um, his spokesman then pointed out that previous problematic intelligence blunders on Iraqi weapons of mass destruction was perhaps sort of colouring their thinking. Here's Jeremy Corbyn's statement, a bit of his statement in the Commons. Our response must be both decisive and proportionate and based on clear evidence. If the government believes that it is still a possibility that Russia negligently lost control of a military-grade nerve agent, what action is being taken through the OPCW with our allies? Many uh, Labour MPs, uh, backbench MPs, weren't happy with Corbyn's stance and they were keen to make sure that Theresa May knew that they were square behind the statement she'd made. Here is Labour's Pat McFadden. Responding uh, with strength and resolve when your country is under threat is an essential component of political leadership. There is a Labour tradition that understands that, and it has been understood by Prime Ministers of all parties who have stood at that dispatch box. Uh, Now, there's a lot to unpick here with Labour because there's about four different things going on. Let's talk about Corbyn's response, first of all. It was kind of... Some people were saying that it was misrepresented, but I went back and looked at it, and... Theresa May said on Monday, it could be the Russians or it could be that the Russians lost control of this nerve agent. On Wednesday, she says, it's the Russians. Jeremy Corbyn says, we're still not sure. Well, they've all seen, under Privy Council terms, right, surely they've all seen the same evidence. So Corbyn must be making a different conclusion to Theresa May. Yeah, he must just have thought he's not convinced by the intelligence that he, he saw, which I suppose is fine. 
you know, but the the tone of it, how he did it, I think, and I think also because of his previous statement in the Commons, I think it's going to get jumped on uh, his response. But surely, Corbyn, that's right, Corbyn's absolutely fine, isn't he, Paul? There's nothing wrong with saying I want to see more evidence. Well, it's about um, several things, isn't it? It's about the tone, it's about the substance as well. So... The, the the some people around Corbyn felt that even his closest allies thought that on Monday he'd made a mistake by going for the Tories in terms of cuts you know and and donations and Tory links to the Russians because it sounded too aggressive it wasn't it was too partisan it looked slightly cheap but um, what was interesting about the 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 Wednesday statement was that actually he went much further in saying actually. Uh, I don't really even see the evidence yet for that it is Russia and that was that obviously infuriated some of his backbenchers, there's no question. But I think um, there's a bigger question, which is not just about the individual tactics or the tone he did, but what is Corbyn's um, ultimate strategy here when it comes to international relations? And his strategy is we need to engage with Russia because we, he believes in multinational, multilateral solutions to the world's problems, right? He, he, he's anti-conflict. And that's ultimately where he's dri- been driving this. But at the same time, don't forget the reason he's got a sympathy for for Moscow is not because Moscow is communist anymore. It's not. It's not particularly left wing. I mean, it's full of you know oligarchs even now. Um, it's not as if he supports the system. But what he obviously his critics that really think is going on here is that. Russia is a big bulwark against American imperialism and American power and Western colonialism, all of which Corbyn and Seamus Milne, his spokesman, for years have been calling out or trying to criticise and say, look, you've got these these rival power bases in the world and actually we don't think it's healthy that, that, that the West and America dominates. And it goes right back to his uh, people criticising him for his attitude towards NATO, his um, kind of being against building up NATO's forces on the in Eastern Europe. It's all about not confronting and about talking. I mean, one thing that I think did get overlooked a bit in his statement on uh, Wednesday, which was when he spoke about the cuts to the Foreign Office and the Diplomatic Service, which I thought was a bit weird because there was no kind of direct link between, I'd say, the number of diplomats we have in a country and if Russia chooses to try and assassinate British citizens in British soil. And that's what really wound May up, actually. And, and Johnson as well. And, yeah. and it was from that that he said, uh, yeah. Corbyn said, you and, demean the office. And, and there have been cuts to the Foreign Office, yeah. but... Okay, is this going to cut through though? Because before the the last election, there was lots of talk about Corbyn. You can't trust him on security. Look at his position on on Irish terrorism, and it didn't seem to make that much difference to people. Do you think people now will just will just? I mean, is, is this going to cut through because it's happening now today on British soil? All people have the same view, which is, you know what? He was quote unquote right about Iraq. He was quote unquote right about other things. Some people would say, and therefore it's not going to that much change anybody's mind. Well, I think. As well as a lot of um, anger from backbenchers, which you've already sort of touched on, um, there's genuine concern as well about his response and its tone um, from MPs, not just MPs. Like I've spoken to, you know, quite some senior people, sort of very close to the Labour Party, who've said that on the basis of this, they're considering not even voting Labour in the local elections because they view they view the approach to this from from Corbyn and his team as an actual national security risk. And that's why it matters, isn't it? Because normally, I mean, Jeremy Corbyn, for years before he was anywhere near becoming Labour leader, was known in the campaign group, the left-wing group of MPs, as their foreign secretary. His big... dominant thought in policy is about foreign policy. It's not about domestic policy necessarily. He's the big foreign policy guy on the left and has been for years. So for him, 
normally the things he says about foreign policy, whether it's Chile, whether it's Venezuela, whether it's Cuba, doesn't really impact on your average voter's life. But when it's a foreign policy that affects domestically an attack on British soil, just as when he started talking about shoot to kill, what would happen here if there was an attack on British soil? That's when it matters to British voters. And I think that's why um, he obviously thinks that he can pursue the same arguments domestically as he's been doing in the foreign field. But I think the real problem is going to be this whole idea about floating voters. There are lots of people on Twitter, you see loads of them supporting Jeremy Corbyn, and there are lots of people attacking Jeremy Corbyn. There are lots of Tory MPs and, and Labour MPs who, let's be honest, don't like Jeremy Corbyn and have gone for him. The really interesting thing is what about those floating voters or the voters that went to Labour in the last general election? Can he, will they be de- repelled by what he said about this? Will they, in some sense, peel away from Labour? Or is the government in such a mess that actually they're going to stick with Labour no matter what he says on foreign policy? And just finally, um, on this, do we think this is going to pr- prompt another Labour civil war because it seems everything had been quite quiet since the election but this is a clear dividing line between the Labour front bench and the Labour back bench. I mean there was a, a Labour MP said to me yesterday that the kind of level of anger hadn't been this high since the leadership challenge the last one so obviously there's a lot of frustration and anger at what he's said but I don't really see what happens I mean if there's if there was a rumour there'd be some resignations but he just would I think he just would carry on as before he'd, I, he'd, he'd, I, I just, don't think yeah. he would care it just, it, I don't think they would affect him too much but the real impact of this will be on Brexit and, and I pointed out in the war zone this morning you may not have read it but there's a point is that Anna Subi was one of the most vociferous critics of Corbyn in the chamber over what he said about Russia she said it was shameful and Tory Remainers now are under real pressure from their own side say if you side with that guy in any way on Brexit you're creating a national security risk that is why this matters because on Brexit then we may not get an alliance of Tory Remainers and, and Labour mainstream people and somehow a meaningful vote that really is meaningful and that's why perhaps long term the, the real fallout from this is on that bit of domestic policy. Let's move on to this quiz very quickly. It's called uh, RT or not RT? That is the question. Ah, and that's actually quite uh, funny as a title. And it's going to be a question. It's going to be, <laughs> quite have funny. these people appeared on Russia today? Okay. Uh, this is according to the European Values Protecting Freedom Think Tank. Their report that came out on 18th September 2017 called The Kremlin's Platform for Useful Idiots in the West. An overview of RT's editorial strategy and evidence of impact. So I've also gone and looked through registers of interest to bring it something more up to date. So I'm going to tell you a name. And is it if they appeared on it, Russia Today? Yeah. If they didn't appear on it, Russia No Way. Okay. <laughs> okay. Nice and simple this week, isn't it? Mm. Okay, let's start. David Davis. Brexit Secretary David Davis. Um, yes. Russia Today. Because I feel like that's a trick. What, what, what's the one that if he's not been on it? Russia No Way. Russia No Way. I don't think he's no ever way, been on it. I'm saying. Correct. Russia No oh. Way. He's never been on it. David Lammy. Russia Today or Russia No Way? Russia Today. I think he might have been on yeah. Russia Today. Yeah, Russia Today. He's been on it three times. Wow. Apparently. Uh, Vince Cable. Russia Today or Russia No Way? Oh, that's a tough one. Sir Vince Cable. Leader of the Lib Dems for anybody. I'm, no. I'm going to say no because he was a minister and for a lot of the coalition yeah. and therefore wouldn't have really been appropriate. I'm going to say yes. Correct, eight times, one of the oh, most... He's been on it. Really? Eight times. Oh, my God. Recently? Or? Uh, yeah, a lot of the people appear on something called the Sam Delaney News oh, yeah. thing. Oh, yeah, the And their justification thing. is that because it's a separate it's company, funny. they get paid for... It's, it's, yeah. it's still on Russia Today, right? Uh, Johnny Mercer. No. Surely not. Yes. 
He has three times promoting his book. Wow. Uh, Peter Bone. <laughs> uh, Big yeah. fan of the show. I was going to keep saying yes. Yes. Peter Bone. Russia Today or Russia, Russia No today. Way? Russia Today. Russia No Way. Russia No Way. Never been on uh, it. Uh, John Woodcock. No, Russia No Way. No. Russia No Way, surely. Correct. Russia No Way. And finally, let's have, finally, Caroline Lucas. Russia Today or Russia No Way? Um, Yeah, Russia Today. Uh, I I think she's been on it, yeah. I'm going to say no. She's been on it twice. Other people that have been on it include Andrew Mitchell seven times, Crispin Blunt seven times, Nigel Evans four times, uh, Diane Abbott twice. People have not been on it. Ken Clark, Alan Duncan, Ian Duncan Smith. You're going to listen to every other person that's Nick Clegg, <laughs> Russian R. Ali. Um, so there we are. So who's, who's been on it most? Uh, I think it was Vince Cable. How many times again? Remind eight, us. Eight, eight. times. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. Yeah, and Corbin, I think, has been on it four times. Um, I'm not quite sure how they measure it. Uh, sorry, to, no, sorry the, Lemba Opit was the most with 55. Kelly was in 21. <laughs> 55? Uh, yeah. Uh, 31 for Alex. Sorry, 13 for Alex Sam. I think that was before his show got launched. Vince Cable, eight. Um, Quasi Quartang's won it six times. Wow. Uh, yeah, Richard Bergen, five. Nigel Farage, five. Natalie Bennett, four. Is this interesting meeting? Just reading out names. Barry Gardner, four. Douglas <laughs> <laughs> Carswell, three. Uh, East five, four. Anyway, so that's uh, this week's quiz. Is that right? I like it. Better than like, last week? Yeah, good. Paul, yeah. get off your phone. Listen, I'm not. He, we said turn your phone off because otherwise you'll get the interference. <laughs> Honestly. I wasn't on last week, but I listened to the quiz. And oh, it I wasn't cheating on the yeah, quiz. It was oh, the it, quiz it, was... It, it was bad, all right. It was bad. Should we move on, shall we? Let's move yep. on to uh, Free School Meals, which is even more confusing <laughs> than last week's quiz, I think. <laughs> but Tory and DUP MPs this week voted for controversial cuts to free school meals in England. Uh, Labour staged a last gasp bid to block the changes to universal credit benefit thresholds, but was defeated in the Commons. Charities and other campaigners claim the welfare reforms mean that up to a million children will be denied eligibility for free lunches. Here is Shadow Education Secretary Angela Rayner. If the House does not vote for our motions today, over a million families will lose out. The Tories, however, reject that figure of a million. Uh, They accused Labour of scaremongering and insisted that 50,000 more youngsters would benefit than at present. Here's an impassioned speech from Tory backbencher Maria Caulfield. I think they underestimate the fear they are causing in this country. When my family were growing up and we were poor, my dad worked as a labourer. He didn't often know when his next job was coming. If his job finished early, he didn't get paid. If the subcontractor didn't get paid, he didn't get paid. And there was that sickening, gnawing feeling in your stomach when you weren't sure where the next penny was coming from. To tell a million families in this country that they will lose free school meals when that is absolutely wrong is scandalous and members opposite should be ashamed. Is this fake news? I don't know what's going on, Ned. I've read all the stuff about it. I can't work out what's happening. No, I don't actually know. It's not fake news. It is fake news, isn't it? No, it's not. No, because the argument that they're going to take food out of the bellies of children... No, no one's saying that. They are. Rachel Maska said that on Twitter. She did say bellies. She said said exactly that. So that is fake news. Okay. But, But what isn't fake news is... It's a cut to free school meals eligibility. There's, um, the, the Department for Education and Department for Work and Pensions really hate that phrase, cut. They, they say it's not a cut It's because it's, it's purely hypothetical. 
just to, for new reader, new listener starts here. Basically, the reason this figure has come about is because the Children's Society, a charity, not Labour Party, the Children's Society did a bit of number crunching. And they worked out that under the current regime for universal credit, basically to, to make it more palatable uh, in a transitional sense for these pilot schemes that have been going on up and down the country... IDS and David Gork agreed that everyone who went on to universal credit would be automatically entitled to free school meals. Now, that's a shift from the previous position. If you're on Job Seekers Allowance and any of the other benefits that make up universal credit, you weren't automatically going to get on free school meals. So they were expanding eligibility. And the Children's Society said, right, if that's happening at the moment, that's the current position. If the rollout proceeds under those same rules, then a million or 1.1 million more kids would be eligible for free school meals. Yeah, so if 1.8 million would, would get a free school meal every day, because they're means testing it now, it's going to be 650,000. Yeah, that's so that's right? the difference. And so the point is that because the government have introduced this threshold, that 1.1 million fewer kids than would have happened are going to get free school meals. Now, that's hypothetical. And Labour, I think, are well within their rights to point out that hypothetical. I'll tell you why. Because there's lots of hypotheticals in politics. Here's a really good one. The one thing lots of Tories are really proud of is fuel duty cuts, okay? And the chance of the exchequer, the reason I was on my phone, I was checking the figure, said in 2016 autumn statement, he delivered an £850 million tax cut for British people because he'd frozen fuel duty. Now, he hadn't given you... 850 million quid in your pocket. What he'd done is he'd saved you what you would have been paying if Labour's fuel duty escalator had continued throughout the rest of the parliament. So it's a hypothetical cut. So though all those Tories are really complaining about this statistic ought not to talk about any ta- fuel okay, duty but cuts. The, but the Department of Education say that by 2022, around 50,000 more children will benefit from a free school meal compared to the previous benefit That's system. That's true. So what they're saying is, is that benefit system A, which is being replaced by B, but benefit system C is going to be better than A. That's yeah. basically what they're saying, right? Yeah. And, and Labour's saying, well, you're not doing benefit system B anymore. So is it possible that both sides... Are, but it, what was interesting, I think, about this, Kate, is that the Tories have really taken this up in anger on social media. I think they've been really hurt by the stuff on animal sentience last year when they perceived that as being fake news. And I think there's been a concerted effort to take the fight to Labour on this issue. I mean, have you seen that as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. And I think um, the tweet that you mentioned from Rachel Maskell has kind of fueled that as well. Um, You know, she's saying, oh, you know, Theresa May was the... um, Margaret Thatcher was the milk snatcher and now Theresa May is literally taking food from the stomachs of poor children. It's like, come on. I can't just... But it just, it undermines... It shows how you've got to be smart with your language. Exactly. You You could say you're denying children the eligibility of having free school meals but you can't say as you're taking food from them out and it undermines the very succinct explanation that mr paul war has just given us about the actual the reason why labor is is making a fair argument essentially but the fact is that you know there will be a few more fifty thousand more kids on free school meals technically who are going to get um, eligibility for this but that's because the thresholds at the moment are like 6,000 the government's putting it up to 7,400 but here's the the reason a lot of our readers were really angry about this and Labour was angry about this in Northern Ireland it's more than double that threshold 14,000 why because the DUP successfully argued they want more protections for poor working families and so there is a really important point here which is the DUP voted with the Tories on Tuesday night for this measure to be cut in England. 
Now, what's really curious is that their votes did count um, because under evil, the English Votes for English Laws, um, it, it, it still, although Scottish MPs, their votes weren't necessarily registered in full, the Northern Irish MPs were. And that's why there's a sense of anger. The government are given... Well, the Northern Irish votes were counted for evil. No, they, no, weren't. they weren't. They no. weren't. I mean, and Labour still lost on that basis. Yeah, no, but Labour still lost. But the point is that there were nine DUP MPs who voted with the with the government, right? And I think that's that. That's where there's a sense of anger. It's because the government are already giving the DUP a billion quid at a time of austerity, and when <laughs> it comes to this issue, free school meals. Northern Ireland poor families are getting greater protection than poor families in England, and that's why it really, really resonated. Okay, let's move on to the uh, spring statement now. I've just got written down on my script, just spring statement. I've got no clips to play because it was, it was, I mean, it was a bit of a non-event. Other than the sort of day when we thought we were going to get rid of the penny. And <laughs> but the that tuppers, was what's great about it. The, the, the only story note. to come out of it I mean, is the so one, it was a U-turn. He stood up, Philip Hammond, and he spoke for what felt like forever. But I think it was only about 20 minutes. And 26. Just, 26 minutes, there we are. Thank you, Stato. And he mentioned like 0.1% extra growth, and he might have some money in November, but he's not sure if he's going to spend it, but he might spend it, but he's not sure yet. But hey, don't ask me any questions on the Chancellor. And it was all a bit... I just... I mean, George Osborne used to love these set-piece events. Hammond, I mean, t- he parked the bus. He was like the Mourinho of, of the financial state, wasn't he? He was pretty... I mean... Ugh. And that, that's sort of what he said was going to happen. Yeah. That yeah. nothing going to happen here, and nothing much did happen there. Yeah, uh, he apart was, from that was, he was treading water. He was basically buying time and saying that, look, you know, we're going to do any major announcements in the autumn. We might give you some more money, some jam tomorrow and increase spending. Let's see how it goes. Um, but what I thought was curious is that even though he didn't announce any tax or spending changes and it wasn't a normal budget, he still managed to <laughs> cock it up by having this 1p and 2p threat to the, well, oh, yeah, the penny. Yeah, in a consultation, which, wasn't it, of, yeah. of cash in the digital age. But Downing Street were, well, they weren't quick. I mean, they were quick 24 hours, but they yeah. could have killed it within five hours. You know, I remember the lobby briefing, is the penny safe under this prime minister? <laughs> and they were unable, Look, and he Mocked said, up pennies with the camera's face. And the reply it, yeah. was, uh, there'll be no change. Which can be read either way. So I was <laughs> oh, very good. Very um, good. Kate, what did you make of the statement? Because it seems to be a non-event. And is it good that it's perhaps a non-event now? Having these constant changes to tax and spend policy, it's not really done anywhere else in the world, is it? Kind of. I mean, there were some bits of bad news which we uh, dug out that yeah. were buried, which was that um, wages, real terms, wages and real disposable income is still absolutely rubbish, basically, for most families. Um, and also the um, the sort of upwards revision of growth that Hammond was very keen to point to from the OBR, the Office of Budget Responsibility. Um, that's only really short term. Like by 20, 2021, 2022, that drops right down again. And that had come from it being revised down in November. Exactly, yeah. which was described, I think, as a bloodbath of a downwards revision. So, um, and as an aside, on the pennies thing, did somebody raise the fact that you'll be ruining those little seaside coin press things yeah. as yeah, no, an no, issue? I think, I think, I think some, Is some, that a um, thing? Some seaside MPs. Do people still MPs. do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. I thought it was 10 P's and 5's these days. You get different oh, types. You get penny ones yeah. and silver Uppers. coin ones. Yeah. Ah, yeah. well, there you go. Yeah. I get, with the statement, is I mean, one thing he has done is he's robbed himself of a, a, a time where he can change the narrative. Because when you've got a proper statement, you can use it to do big things and try and take control of the agenda. But if you're going to mess it up every time, then maybe it's better just to not 
give yourself a, a yeah a, and ultimately i mean as you you were reporting Ned, that the institute of fiscal studies they always do a sort of day after uh, analysis don't they and um they basically made the the fundamental point which no one can get away from which is that both labor and the tories keep pretending that we can have european style services with american style levels of taxation and that is the fundamental point which you know even jeremy corbyn's party have yet to really grip is the finally on this? Is the problem that Philip Hammond faces is that he has got this extra bit of money? November he reckons. We think it might be NHS, it might be public, say, public sector pay, but there isn't really, is there, a real vision of what comes after austerity? We've known, you know, they've been in government for eight years now. The Tories, two years before, then they were basically preaching austerity since the crash. This has been their economic policy for ten years, and I don't think that there's much of a vision, is there, from them as to what is life like after austerity? And Jeremy Corbyn paints it, you know free trains for all or whatever but but the Tories haven't got that I don't think the Tories have a coherent idea of what their agenda is domestically a joined up idea of what what they want to do with the country I think you're right but they do still believe in sound money and that actually you know although people at the last election weren't that focused on it they were in 2015 very much so they seemed to be obsessed with the deficit and Labour voters in particular as well so you know the Tories have got this on their side that they'll be able to say look we cleaned up Labour's mess we you know it was hard it was painful it was worth it but now we're you know this is we're talking to the next general election 2022 after two years maybe of a windfall the economy going up being out of the tunnel you can imagine them saying right we'll give more money to the NHS we'll give more money to schools and this is a a Brexit dividend and and will that work? That's the big question. That's, and that's, that's isn't it, Kate, is that they need to be able to say, you had all that pain, and this was the reason why you had to go through it, because now you're getting the good stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, but absolutely. what is the good stuff? Exactly. But we don't know, do we? Um, I agree with Ned. Like, there doesn't seem to be, doesn't seem to be much of a vision. Um, but I do have a question. All right. What does Paul think of jam in cake? Jam and cake. Mm. Well, I, I'm like Victoria Sponges. Mm. I'm not that keen, to be honest. Oh, he doesn't like cherries. Don't like cherries like and jam. cake. <laughs> jam Sorry, and cake. To be by fair, the, by the, the the jam industry. I don't mind it. Big jam. J- jam it's, is topical. Yeah, it's true. Why is From it topical? The spring statement. Jam tomorrow. Because Paul said jam, jam tomorrow. Jam which, tomorrow. Which is the phrase that I use in the briefing, which you nicked for your piece. To <laughs> I didn't read the briefing, so no, I can't no, no, nick no, it. No, in the briefing afterwards, <laughs> oh, with the thing, no. I said, is this not jam? I said, this is not jam tomorrow, it's no jam ever or something. And you nicked it, Paul. Are you claiming you Did come I? up with the phrase jam yes, tomorrow? Yes, I put jam tomorrow. <laughs> right, and okay. now Kate is now... Anyway, Kate's right. I don't like particularly like jam and cakes. I just don't, you know, I just quite like buttercream or you know something like that join us next week for uh, find out whether Paul likes gooseberries the great British bake off (laughs) gooseberries are great are they yeah they're horrible aren't they no they're lovely no they're nice our sound guy's nodding at us like please shut the up this is really really boring okay fair enough fair enough okay let's leave it Um, we'll be back next week Um, thermonuclear war pending and all that kind of stuff right Ned yeah good let's all go to North Carolina yeah can't wait excellent see you later Bye. bye 